Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday the 18th of May. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Katrina Blowers and Katrina slipping inside some filthy sheets in today's briefing. This is something no one would want. It is the reality of living in a mouse plague. You pull a linen, you know, out of the linen cupboard and a mouse has given birth in there overnight. So not only do you have little pink, disgusting mice with no fur, but you've got afterbirth on your beautiful white linen sheets. Yeah, that is so disgusting. That's what's going on inside people's homes. But that's not all. The mice are destroying people's harvests. They're everywhere all the time, destroying crops, destroying fodder storages. And the impact, the psychological impact is massive. Yeah, so we're going to speak to Australia's leading mice researcher and find out um, about this new napalm option they're going with to try and poison the mice. Will the mice take the bait? That is this morning's briefing. First, here are the big stories of the day. Well, just one person on that first repatriation flight from India has tested positive for COVID, and that's out of around 80 passengers who landed at Darwin Airport. We're going to continue to carefully repatriate Australians from India, but do so in a way that ensures we minimise the risk of COVID entering into Australia as much as possible. So that's Finance Minister Simon Birmingham speaking there. The passengers are now in Howard Springs quarantine facility and Chief Health Officer of the Northern Territory, Dr Charles Payne, said yesterday that it's really good news that only one of those passengers had COVID. Mm. Yeah, the ABC reporting last night that at least 10 people who were stopped from getting on that same flight out of India because they tested positive have come back negative after subsequent tests. And you've got a feel for those people, especially now that that um, other person has tested positive too, including the ABC reporter, James Oten. Yeah, so we spoke to him on, on this show and he was actually living out this nightmare of wanting to get home from India. And so then I saw him on TV again last night going, I'm one of those people who tested positive before I got on the flight and then tested negative after I'd been kicked off the flight. So you just got a real sense of that frustration. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder when they're all going to find out if they're going to get back on that next flight that's meant to be coming back in next Saturday. Meanwhile, Scott Morrison's poured cold water on a proposed 1,000-room quarantine facility just outside of Toowoomba in Queensland, saying that it doesn't compare to the Victorian proposal. It's not near a a major capital city where there's a major hospital. The idea that you can just put these out in the desert somewhere, and I know Toowoomba's not the desert, but they need to be close to major capital city airports. Wow. As someone living in Queensland, what's it like to hear that Toowoomba compared to being in the desert and then suddenly corrected? It's not the desert. Anyone who has any sense of regional Queensland, which he is in, well, he was in regional Queensland for the last couple of days. He definitely knows that. Also, people living around Toowoomba are kind of like the the base, the heartland of his his voting base. So I don't think they're going to be too happy about being referred to in that way either. Yeah, well, it's an hour and a half's drive from Brisbane. Mm. They have an airport. They have a hospital. Yeah, they've got all the things. And that's one of the reasons why the Premier in Queensland has been pushing this WellCamp proposal because you can land international flights at the nearby WellCamp airstrip. But Scott Morrison says it's just not a great idea. He doesn't like the idea of passengers being put on buses and being sent out. He also says that it's just too sketchy a proposal and they haven't been able to say whether or not it's going to replace existing hotel quarantine procedures. Mm. 
Still not in the desert, though, is it? Wow. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, the boss of Virgin Australia said that we should open the borders faster, even though some people may die. Jane Herdlicker made these comments at a business lunch in Brisbane yesterday. That little line there, probably taken out of context because it is um, a bit of a headline grabber. Mm. Um, Virgin ended up having to put out a press release clarifying her statements later on in the afternoon. They say that while health and safety was important, COVID eradicated should not be Australia's goal. We've got to learn to live with this, says Virgin. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, the line that she gave in a sense was true, but that was more our understanding early in the pandemic. I think the goal that everyone's working towards now is that if people are vaccinated, then they're not going to have those severe symptoms that lead to death when they that's get, right. they get yeah. COVID. So that, that's the line people are pushing towards. Like once we're vaccinated, we can start to travel again because we, we won't be dying from COVID. But don't you think too, Tom, that because there is a bit of a vacuum of information, we just don't have what the next steps are going to be, we're going to see more and more business leaders like this speak out in more heated language, I think. Yeah, I think we're seeing that almost every day now. Another credible voice is calling for uh, a roadmap to reopen the borders. The credible voice of this podcast, you and I were asking for that yesterday when we spoke to Karen Andrews. <laughs> Correct. Who didn't give us anything on that front. No. But we do know she can't wait to get back on a Contiki tour. <laughs> <laughs> and the death toll in Gaza has now reportedly hit 200 as heavy fighting continues in the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Overnight, America's Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said the US was ready to lend support if the parties seek a ceasefire. Yeah, so not putting much pressure on uh, Israel, um, an ally of the US, to seek uh, that ceasefire. So um, it it sounds like people are going to keep dying as the bombs and rockets keep flying each way in that conflict. Yeah, so sad and so many civilians are losing their lives. Kia's recalled more than 57,000 cars and warned owners not to park the vehicles in garages after it was discovered certain models are prone to catching fire. Yeah, they announced the recall of a number of Kia QL Sportages made between 2016 and 2021, so that's a lot. And also um, the CK Stingers, they're a lovely car. They're made between 2017 and 2019. That's a lot of cars, isn't it, (laughs) 57,000? Imagine if you had one and you can't park it in the garage, particularly at this time of year, you'd be feeling a bit nervous. Apparently they're prone to short circuiting and that can cause fires even when the engine is off. And yeah, just don't park them in a garage until they're they're all recollected. All right. In just a moment, the mouse play. We actually thought that we'd have a big relief from the flood water, but they seemed, I don't know whether they've started having swimming lessons or something, I've got no <laughs> idea how they bloody survived it, but they did the little mongrels and we, we couldn't believe it. You know, people say, they're gone, they are gone, didn't kill them. You know, they're now aquatic mice, by God. <laughs> aquatic mice, oh my God, Katrina Blouse, amazing to hear that <laughs> those people in the country still have a sense of humour about this crazy mouse plague. And thank God that they do because they are being terrorised by these creatures. Yeah, that's the mayor of Moree in northwestern New South Wales, Katrina Humphreys. And in a moment, we're going to brief you on the new plan to napalm the mice plague. First, we'll find out more about what it's like living in what these locals say is the worst mice plague in living memory. 
Susie Ray is a grain farmer in Narromine, that's west of Dubbo. She says she first noticed the mice when she came home from Sydney just after Christmas. Yeah, I came home from Sydney, had a beautiful trip, opened the front door and just went, oh my God, what is that smell? And I knew straight away because I've um, lived through some other mouse plagues. And yeah, they were everywhere. Well, like, how many? Traps. How many do you reckon there were? I probably had 50 in the house. I have no idea how they got in. That was the first indication. Then I got on top of them. You know, you set traps, you hear them go off all night because you can't sleep. So you get up and you um, empty the traps and you've got to be pretty fast at emptying the traps because the other mice come in and eat the mouse that's in the trap. Whoa. Yeah, they're disgusting creatures. So, yeah, so all you're left with is a head in the trap. (laughs) So you you came home from Christmas in Sydney you, you arrive to 50 mice as soon as you open the door. The door. How, yeah. how bad does it get in the well, days and weeks top, after that? I got on top of them, which was great, and um, we were all still, you know, everyone was still really busy and sort of consumed with harvest because, you know, that, of course, is our income. So we were baiting around the sheds trying to get rid of the mice. I can't even, this sounds like a horror film, Susie. Mm, it is. <laughs> it's been um, pretty full on. So I'd have to say it's around five months probably that, to answer your question, Tom, that we've all been putting up with it. But it has sort of got worse in the last probably six to eight weeks. You pull the linen, you know, out of the linen cupboard and a mouse has given birth in there overnight. So not only do you have little pink disgusting mice with no fur, but you've got afterbirth on your beautiful white linen oh. sheets. Um, and, you know, we're sort of sometimes portraying a picture that we live in dumps of houses, but we actually all live in really beautiful houses, mm. just like anyone's terrace house in Paddington. But our homes are old homesteads that have been in the families for a very long time. So, of course, there's little gaps and things that you don't even know exist until you have a mouse plague. And you've got to get on your hands and knees. You've got to pull your fridge out. You've got to pull your dishwasher out, your washing machine, your stove, and wherever any of those electrical or plumbing um, hoses come in, that's where the mice will find a way in. And so you've just got to be on the ball all the time. So that's what Susie and the farmers around Narromine are dealing with. Let's go back up to Moree, which is about five hours' drive to the north, and hear more about what the Mayor Katrina Humphreys is seeing there. It's really hard to explain to people what millions of mice do, millions and millions, billions of mice do. But after the drought, and we had a little bit of a, a reasonable season to the end of last year, people were able to, to bale some of their crops and put away hay for, for the next drought, you know, and quite excited that they had their hay sheds full and things. Mm. But these little mongrels have been into the hay and they eat out all the seed out of the hay and the hay actually collapses. So they're just unbelievable. And, of course, they're, they're so um, such rapid breeders. And it just, it's horrible. And, and they stink and they're filthy and they get into people's houses and, oh, they're just disgusting. Katrina, I love that you've still got your sense of humour about this stuff. You've got it, don't you? Well, you have to, you know, you, you absolutely have to. We live in the best country in the world. And in rural areas, you know, we are some of the luckiest people in the world because COVID, while COVID's affected everybody some way or the other, 
we've been able to get on with our business and our lifestyle because we live basically fairly isolated anyway and we're not all in on top of each other. So when the chips are down, you simply have to take a big breath and be very grateful for what we do have and deal with the problems that come our way. We have to deal with them and we have to put our faith in the scientists with the mice. That's Maury Mayor Katrina Humphreys, and we'll come back to her and Susie in a moment to see what they think of the New South Wales government's decision to bring in the big guns. Yeah, they certainly are. They made this announcement last week. There's a $50 million plan. It involves some rebates to farmers to pay for the bait. And at the centrepiece is this new really powerful bait called bromodialone. It's the toxic chemical that's being spruiked as the napalm for mice. Yeah, I guess the issue is it hasn't been used before either on this scale or in agriculture. And there are some really big concerns around what it could do to other native animals who might eat the dead mice. So let's find out more about the impact of this chemical. We've got Australia's leading mice expert, Steve Henry from the CSIRO. He's been brought in by the New South Wales government as part of this plan. Steve, thanks for joining us. Firstly, we're hearing this is the biggest mice plague in living memory. Can you verify that? Look, it's really hard to verify that. But but once mice get over a certain number and they're everywhere all the time, destroying crops, destroying fodder storages, um, then the impact, the psychological impact is massive. I know of one farmer um, near Canabal that took 400 mice out of his house in one night. So why have we gotten this situation? Why do we have such a big mouse plague? So mice plagues tend to occur at the end of a run of dry years and as the climatic conditions change and become favourable for growing crops, they also become favourable for mouse breeding. So there's lots of food, lots of shelter and lots of moisture and mouse numbers uh, increase really dramatically. Now, locals have been saying they were hoping that the floods might have taken care of things and now they're hoping winter might take care of things. Do you think we're at the point now, though, with numbers that, you know, even Mother Nature can't course correct? Yeah, I guess. Well, it's, it's an interesting one because the farmers all told me that the, the floods would knock them out and I was in, in northern New South Wales just before Easter and asking farmers what impact that water had and they all said, well, it slowed them down but it hasn't taken them away. Um, And similarly, I hear lots of talk about frosts. Now, the frosts tend to coincide with a slowdown in breeding associated with winter anyway. So through winter, we expect the rate of increase to plateau. And what's really important is the overwinter survival. So if a lot of animals survive through the wintertime and conditions are favourable in the spring, then we're concerned that numbers will increase dramatically from that high population base. Okay, so the big news last week was the New South Wales government deciding to unleash bromodialone, which is a chemical um, that hasn't been used in this way before. Tell us about it, uh, pros and cons. Bromodialone is the chemical that's in the mouse and rat baits that you're allowed to use around houses. It's different from zinc phosphide that farmers are allowed to use in their paddocks because of the mode of action. Zinc phosphide, uh, when the mouse eats the bait, the phosphide gets converted to phosphine in the mouse's stomach and then that gets taken up into the bloodstream and goes off and damages the major organs, particularly the liver. And most of it's used up in the actual act of killing the animal and what doesn't get used up dissipates out into the environment as a gas and goes off quite harmlessly 
essentially, which means that there's none of the toxin left or very little of the toxin left to poison animals that subsequently eat the animal that's just died. In contrast to that, the second generation anticoagulants stay in the animal so and and it takes about three or four days to kill the animal so all the time that um, the animal's getting sick and starting to die they're actually shedding the chemical in their feces and those sorts of things and a fair bit of the toxin stays in the animal so that if a dog or a cat then eats a poisoned mouse or a number of poisoned mice they actually get enough to make them sick now, the good news is for dogs and cats is that vets know what to do about this and if they get onto it early enough, they can treat the animal. But there's a whole range of birds and so forth that don't have the benefit of us looking after them that could be impacted by bromodiline. Steve, in the press release from the New South Wales Department of Agriculture Primary Industries, you were heralded as the leading mice expert. Um, you're at the centre of this response, but you actually sound a little bit uncomfortable about bromodiline. It's a chemical that's good, certainly very good to use around farm buildings and uh, sheds and those sorts of things. If there's any uncertainty about it, it's just because I don't know how effective it will be because I don't have any data about it. Well, that's, we the, big, pre- that's the big question. Is it going to, you know, we've heard about the downside or native animals potentially eating it. Talking about the upside, will it actually work? Uh, I don't know. Wow, it all sounds pretty pretty scary, the impact of these chemicals. Um, both of the so, main chemicals in question here. So the rule is, and of course, any toxins that we use, they're dangerous. There's, mm. there's no doubt about it. That's the point, and they, it? and they need to be used as per the label instructions. And if they're used as per the label instructions, they're quite safe to use for humans. But we just need to follow the directions on the label. So that was Steve Henry. He is Australia's leading mouse expert from the CSIRO. Let's see now what our two women from the country think about this napalm option. Here's Susie from Narromine. They haven't made it sound too good, have they, Mm. by terming it as napalm. But if it's going to save our crops, I don't know what else we can do. And financially, what everyone is spending is just out of control. Catch-22, if it's going to kill the mice fantastic but it's also what else it's going to do to the wildlife will be pretty tragic pretty hard to see um we're already seeing results of that with you know some of our favorite birds um not making it through just by eating the poison grain so bring it on i say what else can we do it's just one of those things we just have to get on top of it but we need biological warfare i believe so that's susie let's go back to katrina one more time in moree She's also worried about the impact of bromodiolone, but she thinks they've got to try it. Yeah, I hate saying the word napalm because it gives terrible mental connotations of what it used to do when they, they've used it in other places around the world. But you think, oh my God, I hope this works. And that was Katrina. I just love the way that she used the word mongrel so many times. <laughs> I was thinking she's like the female Alf Stewart of our time. She's she's a legend, right? And I love, you know, as I said, you just got to keep your sense of humour. Yeah, and they both talked about being positive and the resilience of, of people in the country. And, and my God, they've, they've had to have been with what they've been through in the last few years with droughts, fires... COVID and mm. now this mice plague. Us city folk, it's it's very difficult to imagine um, the, the relentlessness of that kind of thing and, and trying to keep your chin up. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to explain what NFTs are.
listener.